The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, Jay and Keith talking a little basketball for show. Uh, we'll talk a little football, not this week, next week. We're going to let the dust settle with some exit meetings and some portals and some, as we always do, kind of a roster breakdown once we know who is returning, who is not. We'll give you a full breakdown of the roster and sort of our thoughts on that. If anybody cares, we I do. care. I know you do, guy. That's what I like about Keith Brake. I care, by God. I care. He cares. Air on the side of caring. That's what I say. Is that what you say? Yeah. It, well, I mean, I, I I say it a little bit differently, but I don't think it's an appropriate phrase for this podcast. So ah. I say air on the side of caring. Okay. All right. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little basketball. And men's basketball will be taking on Appalachian State 7 p.m. Wednesday. We record on Tuesday here. Yes. 6.30 pregame show. You'll have the call on ESPN Plus Correct. with uh, Bruce Trambarger. Oh, Brucey. And I will uh, use him a little bit pregame, postgame. Bruce is uh, going to both shoot-arounds, he said. So. Well, him and Kearns, because they know their Dobbins been in the lums. Oh, that's right. Yeah, their Dobbins right. been in the lums. Right. They love each other. Yeah. They just, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, no, I love you. You know how those DB guys so, are. Yeah, it's a DB love fest. Yeah, probably Hellman will show up, too, even though Hellman didn't do the game. He may have did the games back then. I'm not sure. I'll have to double-check that. But, um, yeah. All right. So, um Tennessee Tech, worst. I've been to a lot of facilities. I've been to a lot of terrible atmospheres. I don't know what Tennessee Tennessee Tech needs to do to get warm bodies in the building. Actually have the PA guy sound excited. I don't know. Have the cheerleaders cheer. I mean, there's a lot of things that I, I don't know. It, it was I, tough for me to do a game. It was the one of the few other than holiday tournaments where I have done games in like a hotel lobby or convention center or there's been South Padre Island, for example, or Cancun where there's like 30 people because it's just families that, that travel. You've done games in Vegas where like... Only the betters come in late? Yeah, I was going to say like the, like the casino is less than a wall thick, wall's thickness behind you. And all those are – so, but for on-campus and mm-hmm. even some of the facilities, like when Campbell only seated 800, there were more there. When, when Upstate seats 450, there's more people there. It was incredible. And it was one of the few times I've not been in one of those venues, the small where like no, or, or big venue where there's like 30 people because of the travel or whatever it is. I heard every play call from both coaches. It was incredible. The conversation between the coach and the officials were heard. Some stuff probably got on air that shouldn't because it's at least drowned out by some sort of noise. I mean, the conversation between players during free throws that were on our side of the court with the referee nearest us were going. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was just – it was an atrocious atmosphere, and I think that makes for – give Tennessee Tech, they hit some shots and had some energy, but I think for a road team that is very, that's used to playing in front of people, mm-hmm. I think that is tough, number one. Number two, I think Tennessee Tech, who had not been very good – and been in some shootouts, and I always had to play from behind looking at the the scores and first-half boxes and all that, were able to get out to a good start 
and they packed in the paint, which is the first team that's done that and said, we are not going to let Jancic and Haynes beat us. You're going to have to hit a lot of outside shots. And my big concern for this team, other than would the big guys and everybody be able to rebound, that was my first concern. I've, I've said a lot. My second concern is who can hit a consistent outside jumper, not necessarily all threes, but an outside jumper besides King and Tipler. And right now they're struggling to find that consistent third guy mm-hmm. to help them because you can only do so much with King and Tipler. Yeah, I, I just you talk about the atmosphere, and it makes me think of a game I did in uh, it was December first, twenty nineteen, uh, at Lundholm Gym in Durham, New Hampshire, University in New Hampshire. Their men's and women's teams both play in there. And there's a picture of me on one side of the court where I am literally the only person in the picture and the grandstands that spell out UNH behind me are completely empty. This is like 15 minutes before tip. Um, It was dead quiet. I'm pretty sure everyone in the building could hear me on the play-by-play call. Uh, it It was that kind of quiet. And North Dakota State went in there and won. Um, because that team was a bunch of zany kids that were super fired up on the second game of the back-to-back, where they also just got clobbered the game before, and they wanted to, to make something happen. Um, yeah, that's it's tough to go on the road in those environments and, and create your own energy. And I think that's part of what ETSU ran into on Sunday is, you know, you come out kind of flat because there's not really a lot to feed off of. Uh, there's just not much there, uh, and... My dad went to Tennessee Tech, and he bemoans the state of Tech athletics all the time. Um, but at the same time, it's it's already challenging enough to be away from home for a length of time. You know, warm-ups are weird. You don't know where you're going when you get off the bus and all that stuff. Uh, when you come out and there are countless dozens scattered throughout the stands, and there's not a lot of music, there's just not a lot of energy, you know, it, it, it can be really difficult to just get going right away. And the Bucks fought back into the game. It's not like they ever let it completely get away from them. But those first, you know, five, six minutes, it took them a while to get on the board. And, um, you know, Tennessee Tech, clearly, like you said, they had a game plan, pack the paint, don't let the most, probably the most reliable scorer on this team, Jalen Haynes, uh, get touches in the paint. So he didn't get a lot of shots and it made it tougher for ETSU to get into a rhythm and, they just never really got settled offensively. And uh, that's one that I think is a learning experience for this group that is a lot of new faces, a lot of new players, a lot of players that don't really have a lot of experience. I mean, you think about Josh Taylor is listed as a sophomore. Jalen Haynes is listed as a sophomore. Those guys have not played much college basketball at all. I mean, they've played like maybe 300 minutes between them coming into this season. And um, uh, you've got Justice Smith, who played only one season at Mansfield uh, because he was injured the first year. And so he came in the second year and he played and he you know, lit the world on fire and he scored 56 points in a game or whatever against Bloomsburg. This, this group, as a group, doesn't have a lot of basketball experience at this level and has even less recent experience when you factor in a guy like Tipler, who wasn't on a team for half a year. So they kind of they kind of have to learn some stuff and and sometimes the lessons stick better when you learn them the hard way like this. Let me ask you this. If I said ETSU had 12 shots 
inside the charge circle. What's that, three feet? Yeah. Four feet, whatever, three or four feet. How many do you think they hit out of 12? You should hit at least six. They hit six. They hit six? Okay. They were 50% from three feet. Yeah. I don't know that that is. You, you have to hit at least six. Like, if you hit any less than that, it's a it's just like you got to have some conversations. You know, um, if going 50%, I feel like, is something that you can discuss and say, okay, well, defensively, how are we getting, you know, what kind of contests are you getting? What kind of matchups are you getting down low? Are they putting two defenders inside the cylinder where it's just really difficult to get a shot up and guys are forcing it up, that sort of thing? I think you, you can take a little bit more film study for that. But if you're not making at least 50% from that range, you have a serious problem. What do you think Tennessee Tech and 11 attempts were? Uh, I'd say probably seven. Nine. Nine? Ooh. So nine for 11 versus six for 12. So if you want to look at something. Now, I get sometimes there's contested shots. There's a lot of contact where sometimes the big guys don't get, you know, the benefit of the doubt like the little guys do going in there. But there were a couple of times where I think if you Taylor, Gregory, that just normally hit left-handed layups – Three of those off the top of my head just didn't drop that were not really that contested um, off offensive rebounds. And those, I think, are killers. You know, and there's others. I mean, if you look at the two-point shots, ETSU was 40% from two, 29% from three. But there's a lot – I'm looking at the shot chart now. There are a lot of white circles, you know, from eight to 12, 16 feet that just just didn't go down. And and that's what I'm saying – I don't. I'm not necessarily. I know King and Tipler. I mean, if they each hit three threes a game, I mean, to me, that's what they probably should be at. Now, some games they could hit five or six. I realize they could have an off night shooting, but I think you can book both those guys for three threes because they're going to take eight to ten. So, mm-hmm. yeah, three's probably where they're going to live. My question is, who else is going to be able? And the only guy to hit a three was Brandon Illick, who was like yep. six steps behind the arc when he took it. And I was sitting there going, and it was the first shot of the game for him. I'm like, and he just got in. It's the first time he's played in a first half. And he took it, and I'm sitting there going, what are you – oh, good shot. I mean, it was one of those deals <laughs> like, what are you – yes, that a boy. That a boy, Braden. I knew he had it all the time. So, no. yeah, it was one of those deals. And, and to be honest with you, you know, he won the three-point shootout during the Buck Madness, and so he's clearly uh, can shoot it from there, and they trust him to shoot it from there. But if he's the only guy hitting a three for the game, that's not good news for ETSU as well. The other side of that is – and we kind of knew this going in, that ETSU was going to have a couple of really good shooters – and Taylor could occasionally take a three. Seymour has the confidence to take threes. If they start going in, then maybe that's a thing that you can rely on a little bit more. But Jordan King and DeAnthony Tipler were going to be this team's three-point shooters. And teams have started to key in on Haynes. They're not letting Taylor get to the rim without a lot of contact now. And we haven't seen Jordan really light it up from a percentage standpoint. You know, you say you make three threes a game. Well, yeah, but if you need 12 shots to get those three threes, that's not good. Like, that's really inefficient. You need to be hitting, you know, three of eight, three of seven, like Tipler did, three of nine. Uh, You need to be in that range and probably a little bit higher, especially in a game like this against Tennessee Tech when they're taking the post away from you. If you can't shoot when teams are putting three bodies in the paint, if you're not hitting those shots, then they're going to keep allowing you to take those shots. 
at, because that is their best chance of winning the game. And they're going to keep doing that until you make them pay for it by going four of seven, by going six of 10. You know, like you're, you're going to have to start hitting shots at a higher clip than what ETSU has hit from beyond the arc so far this year, which, I mean, you and I both know 31% is not going to get it done. As a team, 31% is not going to get it done. And King shooting 27% is not going to get it done. Templer's been pretty fine, pretty much fine. I mean, 11 to 28 off the bench, playing 24 minutes. Yeah, that's that's good. Thumbs up. That's what you're looking for. Um, I, they need one other guy to step up that can shoot threes. It might be Taylor. It might be Seymour. Uh, it might be somebody that's not on the roster that they're going to have to go get in the offseason. But you need somebody in this group right now that you can establish as someone who will step out and shoot threes. Um, and you need you need your three-point shooters to be consistent because that's the only way that teams aren't going to be able to simply say, don't let Haynes beat us and then not get beat, in essence. Yeah, and at the end, you know, Jane Seymour didn't play again. I think he adds another— It sounds like he's—it does said he was getting close. Is yeah. They're not going to rush it, but um, optimistic that he could be back sooner than later. Right, and with a head injury, you're going to play the long game, not the short game. Exactly. So, uh, probably not going to play Wednesday. I think the earliest—my guess earliest you'd see him back is Sunday. Um, I would be shocked if we saw him. Now, it was a good sign he was on the trip this time. I, I talked to him for a few minutes, still sensitive to light. Doesn't sound like that's usually – I would say I would be shocked if he played Wednesday. Sunday I could see. Still wouldn't shock me if it's not maybe the next Wednesday. But still, mm-hmm. there he comes back. I think he helps. I think Justice Smith is going to be a nice piece to the puzzle at home. On neutral site and road game so far, he's looked really lost. And I don't know if that's still the transition coming in and he just feels more comfortable at home. That being said, this game is at home against Appalachian State. If Justice Smith can give them some minutes, I think that helps out too Absolutely. because he can score, he can slash. You know, his outside shot hasn't quite come around yet, but certainly the prolific scorer that he was in Division Two, and we've seen him put up some good numbers in home games so far this year, a 20-point, a 12-point performance. So he's capable – of adding to the scoring, rebounding and be a big key. When you talk about Appalachian State and Dustin Kearns and sort of that coaching tree, Mike Young, like get us all defense and rebounding, it's going to be more of a, a slog-type battle. I think the one thing Jalen Haynes has an advantage that he played for Mike Young at Virginia Tech. Now, granted, he didn't get a lot of games, but he practiced. He knows exactly what type of style and how um, – almost said Virginia Tech – how Appalachian State wants to defend Jalen Haynes. And so I think it's going to be paramount to try to get Haynes going inside in that game. But if ETSU doesn't defend and they're not patient because they're, this is a game that Appalachian State wants to be in the 60s. You know, if it gets to the 70s, it's okay. I mean, just looking at similar score, now they beat Warren Wilson by 1,000, but that let's take that out. Then they won in overtime, 79-74 over North Carolina Central. Again, that was overtime to get in the 70s. They beat Louisville, which everybody's beating Louisville, 61-60. I'm not taking a, a, a win away from App State. they still got to go win an ACC school. But they won 61-60. They 
lost 63-58, so again, low-scoring game. They gave up 70 to Kennesaw State at home and lost 71-67. Then it got a little bit of a shootout with Southeast Louisiana, 83-74, but they want that game to be in the 60s. They want possessions low. They want the shot clock. They want to defend a rebound. So if ETSU can get an inside game going, they are able to get rebounds. I think that's that's sort of the recipe for how the game's going to play out. Last year, ETSU had a hard time on the glass, and it was the older Gregory, not the Gregory that's on ETSU, not Jeremy Gregory, but his, his older brother, Donovan Gregory, kind of dominated the glass. He had seven rebounds, but he had six mid-second half on and really did a nice job of just securing the basketball. Had 12 points on six of 10 shooting. ETSU didn't really have an answer down low. He's an undersized, probably four-man best way to describe him. But he goes nonstop, plays hard, physical. App State lost four of the five starters from a year ago that played in that game. And ETSU, the only player that is playing right now for ETSU that had points in the game is Jordan King, and he had two last year. Mm. In a game in which ETSU fell 69-67 on a no-call that made me throw something – I'm not proud of because the leading score uh, was Justin Forrest, a 2,000-point score in his career at Appalachian State. Picked up three fouls in the first half. Justin Kearns was livid. Got the fourth foul fairly early, and he committed what I still say after watching video, he committed a charge pushing off against Silas Adeke, but the referees didn't want to foul out Forrest. They gave Forrest the call, hits the two free throws at 69-67, Bucks don't really get a good look at the end of the game, and they fall 69-67. So, that being said, you look at the rebounding numbers. Again, low possessions. 26-20 was the rebounding last year in a 69-67 game. So, low possessions, not a lot of um, offensive rebounds. Appalachian State, um, I'm trying to think, on the second chance, I think team teams were tied at 13 second chance points. Mm-hmm. And then ETSU, again, 16 assists, 7 turnovers, solid numbers for them. 15 assists, 12 turnovers for Appalachian State. It was the glass. ETSU late in the game couldn't get a rebound. Appalachian State could. This is going to be a low-possession game. If ETSU can get it to 75-80, I think that favors the Bucks. But if it's in the 60s, that's exactly where App State wants to be. Bucks have to rebound, and they have to establish an inside game. Otherwise, it could be a long day in Freedom Hall. And I think this team is much better equipped to do that than last year's team was. 1,000%. I mean, just looking at the way they were able to go up uh, on the offensive glass uh, against Little Rock, um, they were very effective. I think they had, what, four or five offensive rebounds in the first five, six minutes of that game. I, that's going to be really important for them, uh, being able to get stops, get one-and-dones, uh, by by going up and getting rebounds, you know, the Taylor's got so much spring when he's going up to get the basketball. Um, I've loved what I've seen from Jeremy Gregory in limited minutes as well. Just kind of, you know, he's a little bit of a fill-in guy right now because they don't have Seymour to to bolster the front court, but uh, he just brings so much energy to the game, and he was great, uh, really fun to watch against Little Rock in, in short bursts, and uh, that's somebody that that I think has the opportunity to maybe be a little bit of an X factor. You know, his brother's on the other side. That That's going to give you a little bit of, of uh, extra energy to, to go show what you got um, because family brings out the most competition in, in everybody. But this group in general, I think, is far better equipped to win a game that is built around the interior because of their length, because of their athleticism, 
and because of the strength that Haynes gives them, um, and then the length of Haynes and also of, of Taylor, the athleticism, the verticality of Taylor, the ability of Smith to go get boards, the fact that he thrives at home. This just seems like a, a much better situation for the Bucks to match up with the apps uh, than it did last year. Yeah, and, and it's, again, very different team. That was an App State team that got on a run the previous year and won the Sun Belt Tournament from a low, kind of a low seed and then had a bunch of guys returning and returned like eight or nine star, eight or nine, eight of their top nine mm-hmm. on last year's team. Now you've got basically two of the top nine returning, just like ETSU has very little returning. So a little bit different matchup this go around uh, for Dustin Kearns and App State as they come down the mountain. Again, seven o'clock will be our tip time, 630 pregame show. <laughs> Take a look at women's basketball and bring it my ground. Coach Pack. Go ahead and retire now. Four straight wins. First time since, was that, 2018? Yeah. Yeah. First time they have beaten four consecutive non-conference Division I opponents since going back, going back December of 2014. And the fourth team in that streak was Moorhead State. That team went 21-12, and 11-3 in SoCon, and uh, went to the WNIT. Yeah. There's some stats for you. They've been, been unbelievable. I mean, Giselle Thomas has got off to a ridiculous start, but now we saw Neve Brown starting to pick up some scoring. Uh, to me, it's still the rebounding. They, they are so impressive Absolutely. on the glass. And they limit teams to one shot, very good on the offensive glass, and they've got multiple people that can really go get a rebound. And I think they do a tremendous job of, I mean, both teams rebounding far superior to what we saw last year. And for the women's team especially, you know, they've got people that really want to get a rebound. Journey McDaniel can just flat out jump and go get a rebound. Mm-hmm. But then you have people kind of Rufus Milner that can go grab it. Say, the they, guards yeah, go have, rebound. They have three people who can go get a rebound. Jayla, Rufus, and Milner. Um, because she she is unbelievable on the offensive class. It's just it's all about positioning and tenacity and just wanting the ball more than the other player. I I just that's been a delight to watch. And McDaniel's been really good on the defensive glass, especially. Um, now, you don't want to be too good offensive rebounding-wise. Because right? you're missing a lot of shots, Because right? that means you're missing a lot of shots. <laughs> yeah. And the team still needs shots to go in. They're still shooting just 37.6 from the floor. Uh, the three-point numbers are not great either. 28% from beyond the arc there. But a lot of your fundamentals are in place and this team I think plays pretty well together they do a good job of moving the ball they do a good job of finding each other in in space with open looks several times there have been really good passes from going inside out to get an open look on the wing for a three for Courtney Moore or Journey McDaniel Um, I think this group just plays really well together is there a superstar on this team? I think Giselle Thomas can be that player when they get to SoCon play. 
Um, I, you know, nobody jumps out to me as like, whoa, this kid is just going to be watch out for them, you know, super mid-major stud and anything like that. Giselle Thomas is going to score a lot of points. Giselle Thomas is going to shoot at a reasonable percentage. And she's going to get to the free throw line a lot, which is how she's going to get a lot of her points. She's 83% from the line. She's taken 29, almost half of the team's 60 free throws. So um, not afraid to get to go to the rim, not afraid to attack. This team is willing to get physical, and I think that's going to benefit them a lot uh, when you get into Southern Conference play, especially if shots aren't falling from outside. Take it to the paint, make contact, make the defense, make a play at the rim, see what happens. Um, and and that has been what I have seen this team do. Uh, they've also survived a pretty good press team in Jacksonville State that didn't play a great game in some other respects. Jacksonville State was one of their first 14 from the floor on Thursday, but you still held on to beat a team that's got some really high expectations for itself as far as competing in their conference when we get into January and February. So, I mean, if you had told me this group was going to be 4-1 and one after its first five games, I think I would have taken that at the beginning of the year. I would have taken that with a smile on my face and let's go because this is a team that, I mean, they won four games in the whole of 2020-21. Yeah. Uh, if you would have said four and one, first of all, I probably would have slapped you because I don't think I would I, I would have loved it, but I don't think I would have. Obviously, no human beings taking ETSU over South Carolina, which Coach Mike Brown uh, said herself, that would be one of the greatest upsets in the history of college basketball. Forget the tournament. We're not even good enough to be a 16th seat. So, I mean, just – Take that out. I don't know that even the best Buck fan would looked at you and said, "Hey, they're going to win four in a row." I think if you said you go two and two after that game, I'd sign me up now. You go three and one, I'm like, oh, four and zero. I probably would have said, "Pipe." I literally, I would have probably slapped you. Mm-hmm. And the players have done a tremendous job. I think the continuity of the staff mm-hmm. staying with Coach Mike Brown, and then the staff kind of buying in. It's all about it's all the buy in. Mm-hmm. How can the staff relay what Coach Brenda McBrown wants to do? They were taught. They do a good job. And then everyone is just kind of, you know, considering everything that went on and when she got hired and all that, this is one of the more incredible mm-hmm. coaching jobs in America. And I'm not trying to hyperbole. I'm not trying to do I mean, I think in America, given everything, this is one of the best coaching jobs in the country. I think well, the work that she's done so far has been really impressive. Now, how much do they keep it up is going to be the question. Um, because you're going to start to get players back healthy. You know, Courtney Moore has been on a little bit of a pitch count. She's starting to get more involved. Um, what does that look like? How does that change your offense? Um, how do teams adapt to Giselle Thomas? What happens when they start to focus more on her and try to deliberately take her away? Um, who who steps up? Is it Neve Brown? Can she get a little bit more? Because she missed uh, Neve on Sunday. Missed some layups that she really needed to hit. It just w- was not did not look clean. They they claimed she claimed off the back of the rim. Uh, they were air balls over the top of the basket. Those are things that have to be cleaned up. But you have time to clean those things up before teams figure out the most effective way to neutralize your best scorer. So that's the next step is staying one step ahead. But to get this team to 4-1, and one, um, uh, given everything that it's been through, 
given all of the roster turnover, uh, I think is a really, really fantastic start for Coach Mock and, and this group uh, to get to where they are. And you go to practice, and they all get along. There's good chemistry. They're all bought in. They all really like playing together. And I think that translates on the floor to a team. Like I talked about, they do a really good job finding each other with the basketball. Yeah, they turn it over a lot, but that just kind of happens with some of the teams that they're playing against. Uh, this group plays with so much heart that they're going to beat teams that are probably more talented than they are on paper. And I would not rule them out against George Washington. Caroline McCombs is still kind of rebuilding that group from what they went through before she got there. Um, you know, their, their wins are not exactly the most impressive, right? They beat Maryland Eastern Shore and Howard and American University. But they haven't even left town yet. They haven't even left Foggy Bottom yet. Uh, they, when they do, uh, well, they they have, like I said, they haven't. They, they went to Charlottesville and they lost to Virginia by 26. Um, lost to Cal State Fullerton on Sunday. That's not a great uh, outcome. So I, mean, I think that's a team that you got a shot at. And if you don't win that game, I think you got a real shot at UAlbany because UAlbany probably doesn't beat UNLV, I don't think. Um, but you've got some winnable games still ahead of you in this Vegas tournament that I think is, you have the opportunity to win one or two games here. And I would take that with a smile on my face. I, I think she's done a phenomenal job. I think the group has done a great job of just buying into this as a as an adventure. It's like, hey, we're kind of along for the ride here. We might as well enjoy it, make the most of it, and and have some fun. And this group is having fun playing basketball together. That shows in the way they've won games, and it shows in the results of the ultimate outcomes of those games, which is a lot of wins. How do you like this? Is the women's basketball team going to UNLV with house money? I mean, since they're going they're to a going to Vegas. yeah, yeah, you like a little house money, yeah, like it be, huh? huh? You're Mister Pun Guy. Don't get mad at me because I make a bad one. Uh, but I do agree. I think this will be three games, three days, kind of a telltale sign. George Washington's an interesting game. My guess is it would be an underdog in that one. I'm going to go out on a limb and agree. UNLV wins, and what does Albany and ETSU look like? And then on the bottom half. Louisiana Tech is not the Louisiana Tech of the late 80s, early 90s, where they win a national championship, right? True, yeah. Uh, Stetson is off to one of their better starts, um, a team that ETSU is very familiar with, maybe not this group of players, but in the Atlantic Sun for a long time. Then you see San Diego, Illinois State. I've not really looked into either one of those. I did look a little bit into Louisiana Tech and Stetson. And those are always interesting because you're going to play one of the four. You just don't know where you're going to play them or what it's for. But I, I think ETSU has a shot to win at least one of the first two, and then depending on the matchup on the next one, it's hard to predict. But if ETSU could get that first one, man, and you're kind of rolling, and you would probably get the home team at the Tom, the, the famed Thomas and Mack Center there on the campus of UNLV would be a great spot. You know, high noon Eastern on Saturday that would be. So uh, I, I think it's going to be fun to see. I hope they continue to keep the – keep the grind going because man it is just an unbelievable start to this so far if everything goes chalk as of massey ratings right now 
ETSU will win 10 non-conference games. This wow. team hasn't won 10 plus games total in over three years. So uh, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, what the, what they've done so far this year has been really promising. Um, it's a great starting point for Coach Mock to build from with this program. And I mean, this there is nothing that says... I mean, Mercer is really, really good. Right? We've talked about it. We know who the best team in the SoCon is. We know who the worst team in the SoCon is. There is no reason that ETSU can't be second in the SoCon. And if that happens, um, we're going to have to clear some space for a Coach of the Year plaque. And also, I think everybody will be excited about the direction that program's headed if that's the case. At the, but uh, it's obviously a lot of basketball to play in the meantime, right? But really encouraging early signs from that group. Uh, they are winning games, and they are winning games that require a lot of grit to win. All right. Unfortunately, we will not have any of the broadcasts of ETSU women's basketball for that, but we encourage you, obviously, to uh, you can watch the tournament. You can certainly follow ETSUBucks.com, and we hope. Uh, can can I just week? say, yeah. like, I have never been to Vegas, and I feel like every opportunity I get to go to Vegas is denied me by, like, the scratch of my fingernails. Like, it's just that, that little bit. It's like there's just that. The, there's always, like, it's always in the periphery, right? You, you know, going to Vegas for a forensics tournament in high school. Oh, no, you didn't qualify. Oh, oh, but actually you're now your first alternate. Oh, but the all the all the main entries are gonna go. So sorry. Uh the the Vegas tournament just like every every opportunity, like every moment that comes by ETSU men's hoops. I wanted to try to get to Vegas then, but I couldn't find a flight when it was the Vegas sixteen a few years ago. Uh and now here we are again. It's my old nemesis, Las Vegas strikes again so what i'm saying is coach mock go win three games and make me feel really bad about myself for not being able to go to this tournament but you do get to go to the harris cherokee uh not the center in Asheville, but you do get to go to harris cherokee so it's sort of like vegas right when you're in cherokee north carolina for that one day i mean it does have some impressive scenery but um it does have some vegas. slot machines but yeah that's not it's vegas. still not vegas okay it's still not vegas all right, before we leave here, real quick, last question, and then we'll hit the close and move on uh, for Thanksgiving. Do you – something I asked Coach Oliver yesterday. What is something that you have to have at the break Thanksgiving meal, and what is one thing you would never allow if somebody walked in the door with it, you would kick them out? Um, so the, the that must-have, my fiancé makes an elite white cheddar mac and cheese. It's got a little mustard in it, like a little mustard seed in there. And it's just like, oh, it's it's thick and creamy. It's just, it's perfect macaroni and cheese. It's an art. Um, as far as the immediate turnaround and leave, um, oh, man, that one's a little bit tougher. I would say probably anything related to Brussels sprouts. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I love nice. Brussels sprouts. Oh, my goodness. No. You don't want to be in a room with uh, me about 45 to 60 minutes after I've I, eaten I'll Brussels take your sprouts. word for that. Yeah. I'm, I, mean, I don't need proof, but, oh, man, that's – so mine was mashed potatoes. Like, I have to have homemade rolls, mashed potatoes as, as I mean, a go-together. It's, it's a safe play. As, as a go-together. I just could eat a pound of mashed potatoes. That's not. Mm -hmm. But I have to have bread. I have to have homemade bread to, like, 
because I make like almost a mashed potato sandwich out of it because I'm odd and I'm fine with that. The one that, I actually love that mashed potato sandwich. That uh, sounds great, especially on like a home again homemade bread. That or sounds roll, like something, something I would come up with as an eight year old. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, no, I did, and I just have never grown out of it. So the uh, thing I said was that weird like gelatin thing that people sometimes bring, like it's a Jello mold with stuff like a gelatin. Oh, oh yeah, yeah no, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, I'm out on it. Okay, a, what is there? What's the one thing that if there's only one thing left on the table, you would fight your family over, like like a knife fight, that that is your last thing you would have to have, and you would you would it would be it's so important to you that you would fight a family member. Oh man, mine was banana pudding because I don't eat dessert, so I don't I'm not a cake, I'm not a pie guy, I don't like all that stuff, ice cream, none of that. So banana pudding is my one go to. So after the big meal which I take like a three-hour break and then come back to dessert like most people. If there's one scoop of that banana pudding left, then I'm fighting somebody. That's a good call. That's a good that, call. That's me. What would you? Um, I would say probably cheesecake. Any kind of cheesecake. Yeah. Again, I'm not a big dessert guy. I, can, I, I will fist fight you right now if somebody comes in here with some cheesecake. Or key lime pie. There were a lot of people with sweet potatoes yesterday, and I was like, buddy, I will give you, I will get sweet potatoes for you and give it to you because I hate sweet potatoes. I actually really like sweet potato french fries. Uh, those, those work. Other forms of sweet potato, not as much for me, but sweet potato fries work. Okay, well, there it is. Those are Thanksgiving stuff. Hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving, and I hope you eat too much because that's the day to do it. I eat too much every day yeah. of the week. So. That's fair, too. All right, we'll be back after the weekend. We'll put the wraps on the UNLV tournament. We'll talk about the two men's games. We didn't really touch on it, but ETSU men's basketball Sunday, SEC Network. Georgia, they try to make it two straight in Athens back-to-back years. I guess their good friend Mike White. No, the other Mike White. Mike News Network. Please don't make it awkward for your relatives at Thanksgiving. They appreciate it. Oh, you got to be kidding me.